0: Thank you for downloading or streaming this episode of Band Biographies. You can find more episodes at bandbiographies.com. That's B-A-N-N-E-D biographies.com. If you enjoy it, why not leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts? Apparently, it helps get the show up the charts so more people can see it, to download it, and then to leave further five-star reviews. Another way you can help is by telling as many friends as possible to give it a download. Please do reach out on Twitter at Bandbiogs, on Instagram at Band Biographies, search on Facebook for band biographies, or by emailing bandbiographies at gmail.com. But most of all, enjoy. Hello and welcome to this special interview episode of the Band Biographies Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Network of Music Podcasts. I'm Tom Austin Morgan, your host and on this episode I'm talking to Will Crudson. Will is a London based guitarist, writer and producer whose solo act, Scant Regard, produces a hybrid of western style twanging guitars and full on electronic wizardry. He also plays in the rock bands She Made Me Do It and Rachel Stamp in which he spent 10 years touring and recording. Rachel Stamp were or probably are and always will be the only unsigned band to sell out the London Astoria and play gigs with amongst others Iggy Pop, Corn, No Doubt, The Tubes and Cheap Trick. Over the years he's also worked with US singer Jeanette Napolitano, Flesh for Lulu, Chiefs of Relief, The Selector, Bow Wow Wow, Zig Zig Sputnik Electronic and has collaborated with US director and film writer Tom DeSilio as one half of the Black and Blue Orchestra. He's also done session work with Malcolm McLaren, Tom Jones, Brian Ferry, Peter Murphy of Bauhaus, Westworld, Celine Dion, Appleton, Pigface, Tyler James, Liván, T-Rex Billy Bragg and Dragons. I saw him playing lead guitar with Adam Ant, who he's been playing with on and off since 2010, on Sunday the 4th of September. The next day I messaged him about coming on the podcast and he responded straight away and here we are recording on Tuesday morning. Will was really great to talk to and as you've heard has worked with a who's who of musicians. He's the second of the Ant family of musicians to have appeared on this podcast now with Chris Constantino or Chris De Niro, appearing recently. The thing they both have in common is a broad range of musical tastes and acts they've played with and an amazing sense of style. Just go and google them. Anyway, before I start repeating a bunch of things I covered with him on the episode, you can find Will Crudson on Twitter and Facebook as Will Crudson, on Instagram as scantregard and on his website scantregard.com to keep up to date with who he's playing with and where. So without further ado, I present my conversation with Will Crudson. Will Crudson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because it's only about 36 hours ago, 37 hours ago, that I saw you closing out a set with Adam Ant, shredding the hell out of your guitar on the uh, on the track Physical during the last song of the night. So it's been a bit of a whirlwind. <laughs> yeah. How has the tour been so far with Adam Um, Because I know it's been a little bit kind of disrupted at the very beginning in March. It was postponed for a couple of months and then halfway through Adam caught COVID as well, which actually on the same day I caught COVID, we were supposed to see him in a couple of nights and we both came down with COVID on the same day.
2: (laughs) All right.
1: COVID synchronization. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Yeah, no. Well, yeah, like you say, it's been... uh bit stop start but um when we've actually been doing it it's been going really well probably one of the best tours i've done with him i would say like uh, i don't know if that's to do with the set list or just uh the fact that we haven't played for a while you know and it's just always a release after a couple of years of not playing to to go on tour and do all those songs um uh i guess it's a combination of them of both that but yeah well the, the actual gigs we've done have been really good and uh, I think we're sounding better than ever, yeah.
0: Mm. No, I thought it was an amazing show. I thought it was because uh, I haven't been to many gigs that I haven't played in since opening back up again because it's all about trying to catch up with what you were doing beforehand, isn't it? That's right. Because you guys were doing like um, full album tours, weren't you? You were doing like Friend or Foe before this, right?
1: That was the tour before, yeah, it was the whole Friend or Foe album, which we did over here in the States,
0: yeah. Mm. Did you get that completed before COVID?
1: Yeah, that was uh, that was actually twenty nineteen.
0: Oh right.
2: Uh, okay.
1: We finished that, so that was well before you know, well before we knew about it anyway. <laughs> mm, yeah.
0: Well, yeah. Ha- has it kind of because you've just released um, your EP, Fuckify, as scant regards?
1: So yeah, Fuckify on all platforms now, even though I said it wasn't going to be.
0: Oh, <laughs> <I was laughs> so were, were you uh, an anti-Spotifier or something like that?
1: Oh, I don't know. It was just I just quite like the the idea of playing with the words, really. <laughs> and I <laughs> and I did put it out for a couple of months um, without going to the digital platforms, but now it's everywhere. So uh, mm.
2: yeah, <laughs> so
0: anyway. what a hypocrite! <laughs> <laughs> but it's all yeah. about trying to get it out there to as many people as possible, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I like I like listening to myself, and it's easier for me. So. <laughs> you know? brilliant.
0: So you released it a couple of months previously, anyway. To because it went online July.
1: Uh, I guess so. Yeah, it was it was kind of when we started the tour. Mm. I just put it out a week before that. Yeah.
2: Mm.
0: So, as like, yeah. has the tour been pushed back? Was that has that kind of got in the way of any kind of promotion that you do for that, or do you not do a lot of promotion as Scamp regard?
1: Uh, well, it's basically all me, you know, which I can do online. I can do that anywhere. So it's kind of um, easier on tour, if anything, because there's mm. a lot more people looking at everything I post, you know. So um, mm. that makes it a good thing, really, sort of positive thing.
0: Oh, fair play. Cool. Um, but, yeah, I gave that a listen, and it seems like a lot more electronic than some of the other stuff that you've done, which kind of mixes rock and electronica. Um, this is almost purely electronic i'd say so is that a kind of conscious decision that you've moved in that direction um
1: i don't know i just i don't really think about it with my solo stuff i just i mean i love electronic music um i mean i think there's guitar on nearly all the tracks yeah but there might not be as much so i can understand why it might sound a bit more electronic than the normal stuff but i I think if you listen to um even even right back to when i started about 10 years ago the first album there's, that's pretty you know there's quite a lot of um uh, synths and beats going on on that um mm. so i've always tried to incorporate that yeah but i have actually actually recently i've been thinking maybe i have been thinking about doing maybe something different with with just electronica and not not guitars um mm. so maybe it's kind of that's the natural thing that will be next who knows but i like to play live you know so I like, and i play guitar so kind of have to uh incorporate that
0: yeah, is it is it like, um, are those, I assume, I mean, we're going to talk about quite a few of the bands that you're involved with, but I assume that you've got quite broad tastes in music anyway, and um, I guess Scamp Regard is where you can kind of smash a couple of those influences together.
1: Absolutely, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, and like I said, because it's guitar and electronic-based, you know, it, and I'm into a lot of guitar bands, a lot of electronic bands, it's kind of... Um, that pushes it even further, sort of pushes the kind of amalgamation aspect of it even further, I think, yeah, yeah.
2: Mm.
0: And before, I guess, before we get there, we should do the kind of obligatory kind of getting to know you questions. So what was the first song you remember hearing that made you think, I want to pick up an instrument and try and make a career in music? Was it ever a conscious thought to become a full-time musician?
1: Uh, Well, it actually was... Originally I did classical music and I wasn't particularly listening to classical music too much before that, but um, that was kind of my introduction to music in general, you know, so it's quite hard to say what, what kind of, uh, uh it's quite hard to say a specific song or anything, mm. uh, because obviously, um, you hear stuff on the radio. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like, I think the, first, the earliest sort of musical memory for me was going to see, um, Fantasia, the, uh, the Disney, uh, film um and that's uh purely classical you know so yeah kind of that was the original thing but obviously that doesn't make you think you want to play in a band does it so that that came later i think when i was a teenager really yeah
0: Mm. well fantasia is one of those like gateway things i think for a lot of young people who are into music because it it combines disney and and amazing music as well and it puts it to those really kind of trippy visuals yeah I think it's an amazing movie. I've not seen the 2000 one, the Fantasia 2000 that they bought out a few years back. No. but um, no. no I remember Didn't watching Fantasia that. a lot as a kid and uh, yeah. also having that kind of like I don't even know really what's going on, but it's uh it's a cool experience. Yeah, I don't think they
1: knew what was going on either, but you know, it worked. <laughs> it worked visually yeah. I yeah. music worked definitely. yeah.
0: What was your first instrument then if you were playing classical?
1: Uh, well I I had piano lessons uh first uh, for a couple of years and then I had guitar lessons after that so I did all my classical grades and all that and I went to the Royal Academy of Music uh while I was still at school I was doing that on Saturdays uh, wow. so uh, I did that till I was about 16 um but yeah piano was the original instrument
0: and I suppose you know that classical training in piano especially kind of plays into the electronica stuff as well because it's all keys and synth based is there a way that you can kind of bring that into kind of writing the scant regard stuff do you use specific uh non-pop based chords and augmentations and stuff like that or
1: um i don't think about it that way but i'm sure that is uh i'm sure that influences it you know it's always there isn't it I think uh, whatever however you learn the basis of how you uh, sort of expand what you're doing is is always going to be there so I'm sure that is there but I don't really I don't play keyboards anymore it's kind of all programmed uh, so it's more likely I'll have an idea in my head and then just you know um, get it down without having to play it manually you
0: know right right yeah um because that's one of the things i don't really i've never tried doing electronic music i'm 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 merely a bassist so i play all sorts of four string (laughs) instruments you know electric bass stand-up bass that kind of thing um i dabble a little bit in drums so i'm kind of the rhythm section guy but i've never kind of gone into electronic music so it's a it's an area that i don't massively understand how it's made i guess um so what's the difference mm. in programming uh synth lines and melodies then? well
1: it just you can just sort of do it step by step if you if you need to you know i'd probably more likely do it that way than than actually sit there and play as if i was playing the piano you know you can just um program stuff in and then quantize it because I, I kind of like i like that mechanical feel you know mm. and then i i guess the guitar parts i add on to it and Uh, they create more of a human feel over it, you know.
2: Mm.
1: Um, So that's kind of the way it works with me, yeah.
0: Right. Did you grow up in a musical household growing up? Were your parents into music or do you have brothers and sisters and were they playing music as well?
1: Uh, Well, no, I grew up, I didn't have any brothers and sisters around when I was growing up, but um, I had two parents though. Um, And uh, they, well, they were both in the theatre actually. My dad was an actor, uh before i was born actually so um he was an actor and my my mother uh was a ballet dancer so that's Mm. how they met so it's kind of more like the showbiz tradition rather than purely musical you know um but i guess that's what that's what um encouraged them to want to encourage me to do something in the arts you know in general
0: Mm. so you could kind of see you know my parents have done this therefore it is attainable
1: yeah i guess so yeah
0: yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. I think you need to see that to realise that you can make a living out of doing it, maybe, or like to see the hard work that goes into it, I suppose, as well, or to understand the hard work that went into their careers.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's what happened, really. Yeah.
0: Um. So what was uh, the first single or album that you bought with your own money?
1: Uh, First album I bought was The Jungle Book. Um. Uh... Which, uh, looking back, it's actually pretty cool because there was so much jazz on that. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I still listen to jazz today, you know. Um, so, yeah, that was the first album. The first single I bought was uh, Ghost Town by The Specials.
0: Fair yeah. enough. That's pretty cool as well. So yeah, I guess, that, yeah, not too embarrassing, really, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and like you say the jungle book's an interesting one because of the jazz kind of connection and some of those songs on yeah. there you know like uh, i want to be like you is just a like a perennial really you you can i think you almost can listen to that without watching the visuals of the film you know they're such yeah. strong songs
1: yeah i don't think i would actually seen the film i just heard the soundtrack you know so i kind of when i saw the film i kind of knew all these words because <laughs> <laughs> obviously there's loads of dialogue on the soundtrack you know well, before Tarantino did that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Disney was doing it first. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so what, what about the first gig that you went to as a teenager then? Or, or I mean, I suppose you must have been to quite a few kind of classical and theatrical productions, but what was the first band that you saw live?
2: Uh,
1: Adam and the Ants. Uh, was it? And that was before I was a teenager. So I was like uh, 11, I think. Wow. Yeah. Prince Charming review at the Theatre Royal Drury Lane um, and I went with my mum, my mum took me very nicely um, yeah so it's kind of, um, that was a, a mega you know what the fuck moment I think for <laughs> seeing Adam and the Ants like you know especially that tour because that was um, a really theatrical production with um, costume changes and set changes and everything and it's about a three hour show so um, wow. it was almost like a uh, a cross between a rock concert and a, and a musical, really, mm. because it was in a theatre as well. So, um, yeah.
0: Wow. Adam looked, especially back in the Prince Charming era, he was like nothing else, really, wasn't he? Dressing like either a pirate or a highwayman or, you know, I mean, he still dresses the part. He still looks sharp as anything. But yeah. at that time, I suppose, as a young as a young boy, seeing him doing his thing like that he must have looked like i don't know some sort of superhero swashbuckling adventurer and then with that voice as well
1: exactly yes yeah. full package really i mean the thing is it's like because you don't know anything else then you just think oh this is what pop star is you know yeah. and it's kind of like he, he you don't realize till later on how kind of uh, original he was really you know um and still is um so, yeah, that kind of comes with hindsight a bit, but pretty mind-blowing to see that, yeah.
0: Mm, yeah, I can imagine. And then years later, to actually play music with him must be, must have been a bit of a strange moment when you... Uh, was it 2010 that you first um, met Adam and, and kind of joined uh, the group?
1: That was when I first started playing with him, but I'd known him... Uh, I actually met him in the 90s when my okay. old man Rachel Stamp was still mm-hmm. going. We had a couple of meetings with him and he came. He came and did a few songs with us at one gig um, with Marco. Um, but yeah, yeah, 2010 was when I first started playing guitar with him. Yeah.
0: So how, how did you find that, playing guitar in the band of a guy that was, you know, the first pop star that you'd ever seen live?
1: Uh, it was just really surreal, you know, especially like that first rehearsal where I was just, I mean, he'd, he just let me just play any ant songs that I wanted to play. And I just said, oh, okay, we'll do Lady now. We'll do Young Trisians, whatever, you know. Um, and he just sang along with it. And it was just like, oh, this is just like uh, the most amazing karaoke night ever, basically. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's not the right word for it. But it sounded a bit better than the normal karaoke. But um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, incredible. Still, was still surreal, you know, especially, like I said, we just had a, quite a bit of a gap between, mm. uh, between uh, tours mm. and uh, just coming back and doing it again. It's like, oh my God, you know, I'm playing the best songs with like my favourite singer. And it's just, yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable.
0: It's the first time I'd ever seen him live the other day at Brighton. Oh, really? And right. um, so, yeah, like my my other half is a massive um, Adam Ant fan, but she'd never seen him live. And so mm. I got the tickets as soon as they went on on sale. And yeah, as I say, mm. kind of it got pushed back the first time. Then the second time we both had COVID.
2: Right. So oh. it,
0: it's been, yeah, it's been six months and getting to, yeah, getting to see him for the first time, especially for her, was a massive deal. Okay. But previously I kind of, I knew the hits before I met Joe, mm-hmm. And since meeting her, she's kind of inducted me into kind of ant fandom, if you like. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was... um it was a great show i think like he's an intro he's got an interesting way of moving across the stage uh which has mm-hmm. always been there you know you-, you watch the old footage of him and he- he's got that very staccato movement across the stage lots of spinning and all that but what amazed me was kind of the depth and breadth when all of the kind of the ant stuff from the dirt wears white socks here up to the prince charming and then his solo stuff as well like the breadth and depth of 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 music is is kind of astounding really and like every single one is a banger
1: (laughs) yeah no it's true
0: can't imagine what it's like to play like that kind of set really
1: yeah i mean i I can't think of any other artists that i mean obviously there are artists you know you can say like david burry changed his style with every album and all that you know but really i think um adam it was like the it was the most extreme that I can think of, you know, for, for someone that put out so many albums. And, uh it's quite incredible, you know, and then literally from year to year it would completely change the style and you you can't really sort of uh put any of those eras together. You know, you, you wouldn't be able to sort of make one album out of out of like uh you wouldn't be able to make it as coherent as the albums are themselves, if you see what I mean, you know, because that it's so eclectic, yeah. Mm. and that just makes it so much fun to play you know and each tour you don't know what's going to be added or you know uh so it just keeps it really interesting and fresh you know
0: Mm. is there a particular kind of era that you prefer to play or are there are there certain songs that are more difficult to play
1: uh i mean I I quite like a bit of a challenge, really. And so I guess when we did we did a tour when we played that we did two tours actually. Where we played the whole uh, Dirt Wiz White Sox album, and that's very sort of intricate and very specific parts, the guitar parts especially. So um, yeah, that's uh, I, but that was really enjoyable as well, you know, to to be able to. Uh, sort of recreate it Uh, especially when we had Dave Barbarossa on drums you know who actually played on on the record you know so we had the whole you know just the whole feel was just perfect you know so um yeah so I'd say all that stuff I I really enjoy playing um anything of Fievela Rock as well because that's one of my favorite albums ever yeah it's just like I mean every song is a banger on that album you know it's just a shame it didn't get the recognition it deserved at the time Really, so yeah, but all the early punk stuff as well. You know, the stuff before Dirk is just just a joy to play.
2: Yeah,
0: mm. I think it's nice that he's able to bring those songs back because I don't, I don't know whether they were so well known at the time. It feels like they've had a resurgence since.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there are certain songs you know that were sort of early ones that he redid as B sides. Mm. So obviously, you know, everyone, well, I used to always play the B side of everything, and then. So if you say, you know, if you heard, um, if you bought Prince Charming, you'd probably know Red Scab, you know.
2: Mm. I
1: think that was on the B side of that. Um, And, um, yeah, Beat My Guest. No, Beat My Guest was on the B side of Prince Charming. Okay, I should know that. (laughs) Uh, Red Scab was on Goody Two Shoes. So, yeah, and those are like massive selling singles. So, uh, uh, yeah, but they were like the, the original punk songs, you know, just redone for the b-sides
0: is he still as driven as ever because it seems like he was always one of the most driven of that mid-70s uh coming out of the punk movement he seemed to always want to be the biggest and the best out of all mm-hmm. those groups and i think he there was a there was a moment where he attained that um you know just at the end of prince charming and then into the very early days of his solo career he was one of the biggest acts out of the uk really but he always seems to have this drive to push on and, um, yeah, be the best at what he does. Is he still, do you, do you still feel that drive from him?
1: Well, yeah, when it comes to the live shows and really it's all about the live shows for him these days. So, um, and uh, yeah, he just always gives it, you know, thousand percent, as you probably saw the other night, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say the drive is definitely never going to go You know, for that
0: no it's amazing that like we were we were talking on the way home and it like he's still in such great shape physically Mm. he he, he just looks the part like it's it's an amazing the light show was incredible as well Mm. you know i think the whole staging was great and and to be fair um you know apart from adam of course i think you were one of the one of the other highlights like the other thing that you couldn't take your eyes off, really. Like, your presence on stage, I thought, was incredible. Like, your look was great. Oh, thanks. And what what's the guitar that you use? Is it a Gretsch? I couldn't no, that's quite actually... See. A Hag-
1: yeah, it's actually a Hagstrom, ah, right. um, which I got at the start of this tour, actually. I just got it this year, and it's just been incredible. Um, it's uh, It's kind of... I've got quite a few guitars, and it's sort of making them more redundant, really, because it's just... <laughs> just love it so much so um yeah i was using that for most of the show and i've been using it for i'm sure i'll be using it for years to come
0: you know Mm. my uh my friend paul who i play in a couple of bands with he's got a couple of hagstroms and he basically doesn't play anything else now he loves those things
1: there you go yeah
0: so is that is that you know what what was the first guitar you ever bought and kind of what what has been the guitar of choice over the years
1: uh, the first guitar I bought was actually a semi-acoustic thing. It was an Epiphone uh, Sheraton.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so, yeah, I I've always loved sort of big, big sort of, uh, you know, 50s looking guitars. So I yeah. got that and I um, don't know what happened to that. I think I swapped it for something probably a lot less value. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up with that and that probably broke uh, the usual. So, um, yeah, that was the first guitar I got.
0: Yeah, you mentioned rachel stamp earlier on and i remember listening to them uh in the kind of late 90s when i was getting into kind of alternative music for the first time and uh just loving that kind of glam slightly sleazy rock hard rock sound Uh, i mean were, were you in any bands before that or was that your first band
1: uh no, I was in bands for a few years before Rachel Stamp, um, <clears throat> but that was the first band that where we actually got signed and put out stuff, you know. Mm. Um, I had a few bands. I mean the first band I ever did I was I kind of wrote everything, and you know? I had a, my best friend who was the singer, and I wrote all the lyrics and the you know the melodies and the songs, basically. So I was doing that for a few years, but I, I was never that comfortable with that. I always wanted to kind of collaborate. So when I met David, the singer from Rachel Stamp we just hit it off and we we had all the same kind of influences and that that worked out really well and yeah we and then we got signed and all that so um yeah we did that for about 10 years pretty much loads of touring
0: and it's true that it's the you were the first unsigned band to sell out the Astoria right
1: that's right I think we're the first signed band to headline the Astoria yeah wow probably the only <laughs> yeah the only one actually because it's not even there anymore so um yeah so that was cool we played there a couple of times actually yeah i used
0: yeah. to love the astoria it's one of those you know one of those kind of hallowed places in london isn't it that uh, yeah. had a real reputation as the place that you wanted to play
1: yeah pretty sad that that's gone there's, there's actually a video of it being demolished on, on youtube if you really feel like too happy you know just watch <laughs> that
0: yeah no, I not not anytime soon i don't think no <laughs> uh, <laughs> Are Vachel stamps still a going concern? I was checking on the Wikipedia earlier on and it still says present. Do, do you guys yeah.
1: still Yeah. Uh, no, we still play. Yeah, we actually played a couple of months ago at the garage and that went really well. So every so often we'll do a London gig, but I, it looks like we might be trying to put a tour together for next year. Okay. So I'm hoping that comes, that comes off. Uh, huh. Yeah. I mean, when, when we're all around, you know, we're all quite busy with other stuff, but um we do that i personally i'd like to do some new some new stuff you know because every time we do a comeback show we we play all the old stuff which is great you know but um i'd like to kind of try and move it forward a bit yeah so maybe maybe there'll be new material as well to go with this tour
0: that'd be pretty cool i'd like to hear what a kind of updated version of that sound would be actually yeah what was going to be one of my other questions actually kind of what's the secret to the longevity of that band when so many of the members have loads of other projects that they do because i know that you play obviously with robin guy who's in the other sham 69 <laughs> oh yeah, yeah
1: yeah 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 no he's obviously he obviously does a lot with sham 69 um and that's quite ongoing for him so um And David's got his solo stuff he does uh, and he works with a few other people. So, but, you know, it's really, as I say, all we've been doing is kind of one-off kind of reunion shows over the last 10 years, pretty much. Mm. So it hasn't been too much of a problem, but we'll see when we try and get this tour together, we'll see if it actually will practically work, you know, before we can actually do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And um, I guess as you're looking at doing a tour, like there's still a kind of, there's still a, a big enough fan base out there for you to kind of put one of those on?
1: Yeah, well, the every time we play London, it's always, like, really busy and mm. there's still, like, a real enthusiasm for the band, you know. I suppose it's kind of in that kind of nostalgia thing at this point, you know, because people remember in the 90s, like, it was the Halcyon days or whatever. <laughs> um, so <laughs> there's a bit of that, which is fine, you know. It's kind of weird, though, because it's like, I mean, I love, like... I was talking about playing with Adam and um, I love playing all all his stuff is obviously, you know, decades old, you know, Mm. and I really, I don't mind at all, but it's kind of weird when you're playing your own stuff that you played back then and you're playing, you're still playing. It's kind of like, uh, you know, this is why I I just kind of want to let it move on a bit and do some new stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, I, I kind of understand. I, I just got my very first band back together um, last year and the view was to make it a covers band because you know we're in that era of our lives now but we've been playing more original shows this year than we have done covers shows and again yeah playing songs that we've written when we were 18 19 20 but we took a long time off um and and we right. did other things um and then yeah playing these songs that we wrote the best part of two decades ago it is a bit weird like i, yeah. I kind of, I've got a little glimpse into that kind of life not but it's only out of necessity because again we haven't written anything new because also i play in the other sham 69 and that is again playing songs that are decades old but yeah they're not my songs so i don't have the the personal connection to it but i can imagine it's a bit strange and i know now that it's a bit strange playing your old stuff that you've written yourself
1: that's it yeah I mean you've
0: had the whole experience so yeah, <laughs> yeah it's very odd um but yeah. uh i guess like i mean just looking through your website because when i emailed you uh yesterday morning you replied back to me before i'd even got off your site and it was basically because i was looking through the number of artists that you've worked with and the list is as long as your arm. People like, I mean, appearing in a video with Tom Jones, a gig with Celine Dion, a recording session with Brian Ferry, Peter Murphy from Bauhaus, and then you know, this, you got the Appleton sisters and Lee Ryan in there as well. I mean, oh, yeah. t- tell me a little bit about how some of those came about. Like, what what's the story behind some of those?
1: Well, most of those. That you mentioned were kind of all around the same time it's about 20 years ago now um and that was when i had an agent that was that was getting it was kind of like towards the end of rachel stamp and um the first thing i got as an actual session job was tom jones um and that was a load of tv stuff and uh i think after that was when i started working with appleton again that was tv stuff and the celine dion thing came after that um mm. so yeah it was all it was all through uh, an agent that i had at that time really mm. and then obviously you know you get a bit known for for doing these things and you know you you make friends with people that are working with other people and um, just happened like that really yeah mm.
0: and when you're a session musician i assume you just get given the songs that are going to be played on the night to learn probably in a short amount of time and then kind of you don't work too closely with those artists or am, am i wrong
1: uh well there's all <clears throat> it depends i mean some of those gigs we didn't actually play live you know but with appleton we did some um festivals and stuff so we were rehearsing quite a bit for that so obviously you're hanging around hanging out with people rehearsing you know for a week or so i remember that was at that point um one of them was with i don't know if she's married to him but she's with liam that's right and he he used to turn up and just watch us rehearse and stuff like that um so that was cool (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah that was a name drop wasn't it i just name dropped (laughs) i'll try not to do that again i didn't do it before that (laughs) and i won't do it again but uh, yeah no that that just kind of sprung in my head
0: but they were they were tabloids um they were kind of tabloid darlings at the time weren't they you know he was clearly going to be around at that point
2: yeah absolutely yeah. yeah yeah But yeah
1: no um it depends on who, who we're talking about because with tom jones you know he would literally just turn up and, and sing and then leave you know mm. um so did hang around with him a bit um i think we we went to germany and did like top of the pops in germany all oh, right so i sort of had a few talks with him there he was talking about how long my guitar strap was and <laughs> uh yeah but I suppose um,
0: he's he's used to working with those kind of the, the guys who play the guitar up here under their chin.
1: I guess so, yeah. <laughs> but he was saying, oh, that's the longest strap I've seen since. He said, "He said, oh, the, that's it. He was telling me the first person to do that was the guy from um, that Scottish band. Oh, Alex uh, Alex Tarvey band. All right. I can't remember the guitarist's name, but yeah, there was that guy who had like white hero face paint. And uh, apparently he... And I said, oh, are you sure it wasn't wasn't it Jimmy Page before that? You know, he's going, oh, no, no, it was this guy. You know,
0: so,
1: yeah. so that was cool, yeah. That's what I remember about Tom anyway.
0: <laughs> I mean, he's always, he always, like, from watching him on the TV and stuff, he always seems like he's full of stories anyway. Whether, um, so, and you often think with some of these guys, whether it's half remembered or mythologized, you know? <laughs> yeah, you never can tell. Well, I think
1: he's pretty, he's got his head screwed on, you know, so yeah. he knows, he seems to know his stuff. <laughs> Definitely yeah. about rock and roll, you know, I mean, like he was friends with Elvis, you know. So. I mean,
0: you can't get yeah. more more rock and roll than that, can you? <laughs> no, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, were um, any but, of them, that you know, any of those guys that, you know, I, I mentioned there, were, were you surprised at some of their work ethics? Like, were some of them harder workers than you imagined that they would be? Or were some of them less hard workers you know were they were they not as uh on it as you thought they might have been no i mean uh,
1: i can't think of anyone that that didn't work hard That i mean and obviously that's how they got there you know yeah. so um just ultra professional all these people you know i'm not just saying that it's just i can't i literally can't think of any uh problems i can't think of anyone turning up late or mm. doing things that particularly would make them look amateur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, no, everyone was everyone was uh dead on it, yeah.
0: But like Celine Dion wasn't too much of a diva or anything like that.
1: <laughs> no, I mean I didn't really hang out with her. I just she just with that one she literally just turned up and um she always seemed very friendly, you know, we said hello. But um mm. <laughs> that was about it with her. Yeah. I think I hung out more with her husband, her late husband now. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, it's just an incredible list of people, really. You know, um, I mean, what was Brian Ferry like to work with as well? Because that was a home recording with him or something like that.
1: No, that was actually that was kind of weird because that was um, it wasn't actually a session. It was kind of an audition uh, for his band. Uh, but it was in his studio in Olympia. So I kind of spent the whole afternoon there, going over his songs and he was watching me play. Um, and he was like showing me around the studio, which is really cool. And then there was supposed to be a gig after that, which they couldn't get me a visa for in time. And then there was nothing after that. So I didn't actually do a gig with him. But um, I did spend that afternoon in his studio. Yeah. So that's what happened with that.
0: I can imagine he's quite a cool guy to hang out with because he's the guy who basically influenced the whole kind of, uh, I guess even Adam Ant himself was influenced by Brian Ferry and Roxy Music. Like they were such a massive inspiration to the to a lot of the punks at that time
1: very much yeah because they were kind of out there on their own weren't they and especially image wise as well Mm. that was a very strong thing you know and not and not in the sort of glam way like t-rex or or the suite they were very i wouldn't say more stylish but very more original i thought yeah doing their own thing it came from more of an art school thing didn't it roxy music
0: yeah definitely
1: yeah quite experimental musically so yeah definitely it was that was um very influential on on a lot of uh, the punk bands yeah like you say
2: Mm.
0: and um i mean when you're you know having a chat with these people is there anything that you can kind of glean off them that i don't know you can is there like an inspiration after kind of you know jamming with them or playing with them or whatever that you you can kind of take to other projects. Do you know what I mean?
1: Uh definitely. Yeah. I get, again, you know, like I said before, it's kind of like uh I think it's just like it, it happens naturally, you know, stuff like that. You just um like for instance I was I did a lot of gigs with the selector over mm. the years, which is completely different from from Adam's music, but I was kind of doing one tour with the selector, one tour with Adam. And definitely absolutely, you know, certain things from the selector like your rhythm playing just goes right up there you know probably the best i've ever been able to play rhythm and then when you go back to adam it's like oh yeah this is like you know i'm using the the chops i, I hate that word chops <laughs> anyway the chops i gained yeah. with, uh, with the selector um you're kind of using them with that you know and then um you know you might work with someone where you're doing particularly more backing vocals than with someone else and then you go back to the other person and it's like a lot easier because uh, you've kind of you're in really great voice, you know stuff mm-hmm. like that, yeah. So it's not it's not even just um, mental stuff. It's like you know, physical physically um, getting better at mm-hmm. certain things with with some bands. Where you can take them to another band and, and put them into practice with them, and it's just big, it just makes everything better, really, yeah. Mm.
0: And the selector is another band that I I absolutely love. Was that um, the Pauline mm. Black? one or was it neil davis's
1: uh, yeah i know it's Pauline and gaps uh from the original band i did that for about five or six years i think yeah yeah great i mean i'd never i'd never played star music before you know so it, that was that was a real uh a real cool new thing to do at the time you know and um like i said hopefully i brought that sensibility to the other stuff i did a bit you know yeah, yeah.
0: Scar is is a totally different way of was it a lot of the upstroke kind of stuff that i guess you've never done before
1: yeah no that's like the rhythm parts are all kind of like that on the off beats yeah so um which is yeah i'm used to playing on the on beats and suddenly i'm playing on all the off beats you know uh so that's uh but yeah you just have to uh adapt to that and um the drummer we had was amazing this guy winston Marche, it's like solid as a rock you know so um it was always it was a great band you know great band to play with yeah and we did loads of touring you know we did like loads of europe and we went to colombia and wow mexico and stuff all over the states we supported rancid oh i dropped another name sorry that's um, that's
0: pretty awesome though. Like, drop, yeah, drop was, names all cool you too. want <laughs> <laughs> the first musical director role that you got was with jeanette napolitano the lead singer of concrete blonde right in 2005 yeah did that come off the back of session work were you looking for a new challenge and what exactly is it that a musical director does
1: um well that was um I was a massive fan of her and Concrete Blonde and I actually bumped into her in London in a record shop a few years before that now I kept in touch with her I think I went to see her play when she came over here and I just put it to her that was um yeah, I just put it to her, I said, oh, are you interested in, in writing, you know, because she wasn't doing Concrete Blonde at the time. And she said, yeah, send me some stuff. I sent her some instrumentals and um, she just immediately came up with loads of stuff. And we ended up getting a deal and put out an album uh, around that time. But yeah, as far as musical director goes, it was kind of like um, the only sort of steady uh, band members she had was, the, was a drummer over there, which is kind of more of a session thing that he was doing so it was kind of like I was the only person in the band really so I guess I was sort of directing myself more than anything you know so it's kind of by default that I was the direct musical director I'd have thought really but yeah I kind of I mean I I produced that album you know so it it just it was just quite natural that um, when we played live I would sort of um, arrange stuff and all that
0: yeah so it's it's more like it's the it's the member of the band with the most input into the musical direction of either the live content or what's going on the album.
1: Yeah, it's I mean, well, yeah, uh, typically when when you're a musical director, you, you have a band you're working with and you you kind of call the shots, you know, you're like you're going to sort of uh, be in charge of uh, how things are arranged uh, musically for live or. Or recording really yeah so um yeah that's the job really yeah
0: because mm. you md'd for adam as well when you first jo- first joined the band or after a little while after that
1: yeah no that was pretty much when i first joined because there was a lot of different people in the band at that point i was kind of like i think i was probably the only person that was the mainstay that year pretty much mm. so um so yeah especially particularly that that first gig we was might be the second gig we did at the Scala. i was kind of like in charge of yeah the band really so yeah i guess i was the md <laughs> mm. yeah
0: because um andy the drummer is uh the md now isn't he
1: no uh we don't actually have an md
0: is there not um, okay right
1: no it's kind of a democracy i guess you know okay if you can... yeah so okay it works it works well um because we're all, re- you know, we all know each other really well. We've been doing it for years. So, um, I mean, Tom, Tom Edwards, uh, who died, sadly, about five years ago now, he was, he was the appointed MD after I left for a little bit. And when I came back, he still was. Um, but then when, when he died, yeah, we just didn't, we didn't really feel the need for anyone to be in charge, really, of that so okay. um, we just get things done like that like a democracy really yeah
2: mm.
0: i always found it quite strange that someone with such a um kind of clear direction on their career and music as adam almost required an md really <laughs> so I, I always kind of assumed that he would be the one calling the shots you know what i
1: mean yeah i think probably when he first started out it was more like that yeah but i would think even in the 80s even towards the end i think marco kind of was more like the md really True. Uh, when when he was doing all that solo stuff and he had like a massive band at that point didn't he, he had like mm. horns and everything so yeah that was more marco's job i think at the time
0: mm, mm, good point good point i hadn't thought of that um but you also organized the uh, the matthew ashman tribute concert as well right in 2010 yeah and then also played in three of the bands that were on that night what bow wow wow chiefs of relief and adam's band as well like how on earth did you manage that that seems like a a massive undertaking
1: (laughs) Uh, it wasn't too bad i mean like they're quite short sets you know so um the bow wow wow thing was about half an hour you know it's quite challenging to play that stuff though i did like after that i did uh bit of touring with Bow Wow Wow and then Mm. so I had to learn all that stuff and Matthew Ashman is such a brilliant guitarist and um it's quite intricate all that kind of um twangy jungle stuff you know but yeah Chiefs of Relief I I used to go and see them you know with Matthew he was the the lead singer at that point after Bow Wow Wow. so I knew those songs really well already um and Billy Morrison just did a brilliant job uh being Matthew for the night when he (laughs) tonight Matthew I'm going to be Matthew um he um he did um yeah he did he did leave for Chiefs of Relief uh which is great and um yeah so uh it wasn't too bad like I say quite short sets so yeah mm-hmm.
0: and had I assume you must have known the guys in those bands previously or was it just in in organizing the gig that you got to know them some
1: of them i'd only just met uh the chiefs of relief i don't that's the first time i met paul cook i think who was on drums but um with Bower well i'd known lee gorman for years actually before I knew, I knew him before i met adam actually he's the bass player of Bow wow so yeah he was um aware of me <laughs> already
0: was that also through rachel stamp
1: no that was actually before rachel stamp i actually did a, a he he used to work a lot with malcolm mclaren after about Wow and he he was going out with someone that i knew around the time he was recording with malcolm for this soundtrack of um carry on columbus which was the last carry on film yeah uh, and he needed a guitarist so my friend said oh i know one and then i just went i went to air studio this is the first time i would recorded re- anywhere i went to air <laughs> studios on oxford street it was like mind-blowing you know um, yeah and lee was there put down some stuff I think I ripped off something. I ripped off a mud honey riff or something. put it on there. Uh, it's still on there. If, it, if you look up Carry On Columbus, Malcolm McLaren, or whatever it's called, you can hear my guitar on that. Um, and yeah, Malcolm showed up. And I think I got the sack in the middle of the day. I got the sack, but they still use what I did anyway, you know.
0: Sounds quite Malcolm McLaren to me. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Typical. But yeah, it was an experience, all right, you know. But, You know, I was barely a teenager, you know, I was just like, you know, couldn't believe it,
2: really, yeah, yeah.
0: so where where whereabouts in London did you grow up? because obviously it seems like you were kind of on the scene. Were you always at gigs and and out and about in those areas?
1: uh, yeah, no, I mean, I grew up in the suburbs in Hampton, so right. um wasn't too much going on there, it was barely any gigs at all, really, so I had to go into the west End to to do that, and I just couldn't wait, you know, couldn't wait to go to the marquee. Or, a story or wherever you know, so yeah. So there wasn't anything. There was actually there was a, there was a venue called the Boatman in Hampton Court that was pretty good, but even that wasn't wasn't around the corner. You know, you had to travel a bit. Yeah.
0: How how was working with Malcolm McLaren? It was pretty intimidating
1: actually because I was um I did I don't think he looked me in the you know when people don't look you in the eye they're just kind of talking at you you know it was kind of like that a bit and. So, I found it quite intimidating, yeah,
0: you're never quite sure whether they're addressing you directly or not,
1: yeah, I mean, I was in the middle of playing, and he was his only comment was, "Give it some more bollocks, my son." <laughs> that was his comment. I remember that um I was like, okay, happy to oblige mr McLaren um and I tried my best, and they did like I said, they did use what I put on there, so must have done something right,
0: <laughs> clearly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was quite i mean the, the actual track was quite interesting because it was this kind of techno rock um kind of mixture of that and um, there was all this orchestral stuff on it you know um so it was uh, i'd never heard anything like it at the time pretty groundbreaking even though the, the actual film it was for was not groundbreaking <laughs> at all <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah it's funny isn't it he always managed to have his ear to the ground and be on the cusp of something new even if it wasn't maybe obvious at the time you know he he always yeah. was touted as being the person who brought hip-hop to the uk whether he actually was or not with uh, buffalo gals and that that kind of stuff
1: that's a great record though, oh it's like still sounds great isn't it? i mean so he was he, it was like i mean you could say the same thing about david bowie or something he, he, he knew the people to use around him and he knew what styles he wanted and Obviously, you know, he's not—he wasn't a musician in the same way David Bowie was. But um, I think all his musical ventures were kind of uh, really original and and groundbreaking. Yeah, and um, he definitely knew how to sort of uh, get the latest trend to the masses. You know,
2: yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah, an incredible innovator, if not the easiest mm. person to work with. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and talking of uh, electronic projects. Obviously, along with kind of scamp regard, um you've also done some work with uh, Zig Zig Sputnik electronic occasionally as a yeah. live guitarist as well. I can imagine Martin Degville's quite an interesting character to work with as well. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, he's right yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's the occasional live live gig isn't it?
1: Yeah, just um uh, it's normally like in this country. oh actually I've played with him played with him in Romania actually. Uh, which is cool but uh, yeah normally it's just uh, UK stuff because he has a band in Germany anyway so he does all his European stuff with them but yeah that was like one of my favourite bands ever really was these expanding. I just thought they were so again groundbreaking um, and uh, I always love Neil X's playing so um, it's just really cool to play that stuff And we're playing in December actually we're supporting Poply itself oh wow in December yeah so that'll be a good gig
0: whereabouts is that?
1: that's at the 229 club which is great portland street
0: okay oh cool Mm. that'll be a night (laughs) yeah so how long have you known martin
1: uh i've known him about 10 years i think i did uh i did a solo scout regard gig in wales uh supporting him and that was when i had dave barbarossa on drums as well Um, Ah, and martin asked me to come on and play love missile at the end and that went really well. So, um, oh, then he, yeah, that was it. He sprung it on me. He's like, oh, let's do Rebel Rebel. I'm like, oh, okay. So for, <laughs> I think I know that riff. So yeah, I managed to do that as well. And then, yeah, yeah. Done loads of stuff with him over the years. You know, one-off stuff normally, you know. Mm. But, um, yeah, love it. Love playing that stuff.
0: Yeah. And again, it that that band goes back to the origins of punk as well, in a way, with Generation X. And obviously, James was one of the first guitarists there. Yeah, just incredible pedigrees. Weirdly, I've been talking to Dave Barbarossa as well about coming on here. Mm. It's like I'm almost I had uh Chris De Niro on as well a couple of months ago. Oh, yeah, right. So I'm slowly yeah. working my way through the AMP family. <laughs> it's really bizarre how yeah. it's working out. It's not it's not conscious, but um it's very odd that the people that or well, that I found the easiest to kind of get hold of and actually be engaged with are members of the adamant kind of family it's uh it's an interesting one yeah it's quite a big family you know yeah it is (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's quite likely yeah yeah because uh i think adam back in the day was quite mercenary with his lineup changes and who he would keep on and who he would uh who would jettison because you guys seem to have kind of kept the core group for a while now i mean you've been in the band obviously you were there 2010 for a while and then again you've been there since 2014 now
1: that's right yeah 2014 when we did the dirt was white socks stuff yeah
0: and i think clearly like from the show that was on the other night having that kind of solid base of the same kind of musicians i know there have been a couple of changes over the last few years but it feels like it's much more solid, and I think that comes across.
1: Yeah, no, it's really it's really settled
2: in our lineup now.
1: And um, like I said, we we all know each other really well, and yeah, we know what we can do, and just get it done. Yeah,
2: mm.
0: and I guess the other weird thing that kind of comes out of all this is that I've actually been listening to your stuff for about fifteen years because you provide the theme music or the closing theme to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. A scant regard.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, uh, that was just last year. I oh, that. was it? Yeah.
0: Been. I thought he'd been using that music for a while, but maybe he's just maybe he's just no, updated it's... it.
1: Yeah, it was literally just last year. That, um, because I know his producer quite well, so um, uh, he he'd seen me do my solo stuff live, and he just wanted something like that. Uh, he wanted some twangy kind of electronica thing,
2: hmm.
1: sci-fi-ish sounding. So I said, oh, okay. I didn't expect him to uh, to like it and use it straight away because normally with things like that there's a bit of toing and froing because sometimes people even if they're involved with adverts or podcasts or whatever you know they don't always know what they want until they hear it you know yeah but I just sent that and he was like
2: oh yeah that's perfect I'm like, oh, okay
1: <laughs> i mean i've even mixed it yet. you know but, <laughs> but yeah no it's, it seemed to have worked like that so
2: yeah
0: yeah, I wondered whether it was written to order or whether it was like a sample off one of your songs or something like that.
1: No, no, it was written to order. Yeah, but it was all very, very quick how it came together. That yeah. So yeah, it's good. Uh, it's quite cool because he does that. He does like live ones as well, doesn't he? So you can hear it being blasted out to an audience, which is quite cool.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah at the end of every show, it's uh, it's, that must mm. be pretty cool. Have you done any other kind of things like that for like adverts or or podcast stings or anything like that?
1: not really no um I've done a few sort of short films you know soundtracks but I'd love I'd really love to get more into that really because I always enjoy doing that yeah I work I work with um, a director called Tom Chillo a lot but that was kind of more with his um he wanted to do an actual album with him singing and stuff so we did an album under the Black and Blue Orchestra
0: okay yeah yeah
1: that's out there somewhere um so but yeah no i'm always i'm always interested in working with visual stuff and um soundtrack work yeah mm. really interested and adverts as well yeah because cool. so i
0: suppose it's um more of a challenging brief you've got an, an even especially for adverts and stuff you've got an even more limited time frame to work with
1: that's it yeah no it's gonna be a good thing yeah in some ways more limited you are you know the more you have to be sort of focused and get things done quickly and properly you know
0: yeah absolutely i mean yeah. um it's amazing that you're still looking for that kind of thing with all the other stuff that you do i mean the the other obvious question is how the hell do you fit it all in
1: <laughs> huh. well i mean it's been it hasn't been that much gigs over the last couple of years obviously well, but, um before that it was pretty crazy like i said we i was doing selector and adam you know and literally i'd play in america with the selector come back for a day and then go back to america with adam you know? wow it's just uh but it managed to work out you know in the end yeah you just find a way of making it work
2: really yeah
0: and I, I suppose yeah kind of talking about the last couple of years how how was that for you i mean obviously you can't go out and tour did you do any kind of the those kind of zoom gigs or what was what was your kind of pandemic like um
1: it was okay i mean i did i put out two solo albums in 2020 Mm. and i was literally playing right up to the pandemic i was actually in la playing a solo gig like the week before everything shut down you know Mm. so i had to kind of get back quick i had to cancel the rest of my gigs and get back but um and i managed to do yeah, I did some online stuff. I didn't do it actually live, you know, like I'm just kind of recording myself for like a charity thing and things like that. I did, um my band, She Made Me Do It. We managed to do it like a whole set. We went up to Manchester and did that in the middle of lockdown. I don't know how we managed that. Uh, probably a bit dodgy, but uh, <laughs> we did that and then came back and uh, that, that, that's up on, on the internet somewhere. Um So, yeah, no, I did it because some people said they found it hard to be creative, you know, and I didn't, I like I said, I put out two albums that year, so I think I kind of used it to keep busy, you know, and the fact that I can do it from home helps, obviously, as well, you know.
0: I suppose there's that thing of it's it's an outlet, you know, it's something, because it, putting out two albums in a year is probably something quite rare as well.
1: Yeah, I've never done that before, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mind you, I haven't put out anything since then, really, apart from this EP. <laughs> mm. I'll put out the odd track, but seems to be working for me better now just to put out eps and singles really
0: well i think that's almost the way that streaming has gone really it kind of it it, it uh, rewards people who put out little and often it seems to be yeah. which you know i guess I, I don't know like i'm still very much a kind of physical media guy and uh, i like yeah. i like the long form albums and i like right. the i like the process of listening to a whole piece of work in one go which probably makes me sound mm. incredibly old and old-fashioned but um
1: no I think I like that as well you know I mean I like uh it's definitely quite exciting when you when you know you've got 10 songs by someone you really like in front of you and you're just about to listen to them yeah and it's still for, actually I was listening to something the other day and I didn't realize it was an EP you know and I was just like oh why is it finished you know <laughs> so yeah I guess we're sort of conditioned to the album length you know for at least 10 tracks you
0: know yeah it's funny isn't it but um does streaming come into your mind when you're writing stuff for i don't know Scamp regard or she made me do it or any of your own projects when you're writing songs do you kind of think about well the intro can't be too long because i've got to get to the the hook or do you not consider that at all in your songwriting
1: no i'd rather just put another hook in you know (laughs) I think uh, yeah I just don't um no I really don't take that into consideration at all really because in a way it's kind of like that's the good the good thing about being able to do exactly what you want without a record company or whatever is is that you can take a minute to get to the chorus you know um so it's kind of like to from having those constrictions obviously when we were in Rachel Stamp we had to edit stuff that was over four minutes if it's going to be single and all that to not having them at all now it's just like i'd rather just take advantage of just doing exactly what i want really and not um not have to think about uh, the model you know mm, yeah <laughs> the model example of uh of uh getting to the point with a song you know um because it might be the point for you it might you know the but the intro might be the point for someone else that might be their favorite part of the song you know i think
0: yeah because if you think about it i suppose the kind of mainstream pop music is going back to a kind of well, the algorithm is forcing mainstream pop music back into a kind of shape where the songs were the same or the songs now are the same kind of structure as they were in the fifties. Almost, you know, they're going back to like mm-hmm. 90 second songs where it comes in on the chorus. You might have one verse and then the chorus is repeated. Yeah.
1: Yeah it's nothing new really is
0: it no i mean i know everything's cyclical but then in in these days you wouldn't get i don't know like a band like pink floyd wouldn't be allowed to have however many albums they put out before they got to dark side of the moon was it six albums in or something like that
1: Uh, it must be yeah yeah
0: you know you just don't get that anymore and i suppose that's the that's the beauty of being an independent artist right
1: yeah i think so yeah you don't have to worry about any constrictions like that at all. Yeah.
0: And so you play pretty much every, or you have played pretty much every genre from glam rock to ska, electro to pop. What's your, what's the favorite style of music that you like to play?
1: Um, I guess, well, if you're talking actually playing and playing the guitar, I guess, I mean, I, I love, I just really love catchy kind of power pop stuff, you know? So, um, I'm always striving to go for that um but you know I grew up with the cure and depeche mode and all these kind of darker sounding bands so there's always going to be that side to it as well you know so it's quite hard to say you know what my favorite sort of style is I really um my favorite idea of music is just to to mix everything up really I think
2: yeah
0: and and that comes across obviously in scant regard I would say they're kind of uh mash-up between power pop and kind of the more depeche mode curie type stuff i think that all uh... oh,
1: right yeah no I, I hope so yeah that's good i hope it does
0: <laughs> so um, what what kind of music do you listen to on a day off for example or do you avoid music when you're not making it or playing it
1: no i'm always listening to music really um uh, like i say it's like get everything from um dark electronic stuff to uh the loud guitar uh, power pop stuff really yeah
0: and I like there's certain
1: bands that I always go back to like I love a band called The Tubes Uh, uh, I love all their 70s stuff they just had these crazy live productions really theatrical shows really ahead of their time and uh, in the 80s they became a bit more kind of AOR sounding but even even some of that stuff's pretty good so I listen to them a lot you know I've always loved bands like Aerosmith and just great bands that where you know, you know the, the actual sound of the musicians together defines their whole, the whole band really. You know, yeah. So it's mainly older stuff though. You know, <laughs> you, can't, you just can't get away from the stuff you grew up with, really. You
0: know? I completely agree. I almost think that whatever you were listening to between the ages of thirteen and twenty are probably mm. that's probably the music that you'll go back to for the rest of your life because it defines exactly a moment in time
1: yeah and also you know you can still find stuff from that era that you haven't heard of you know it's amazing like the odd band will pop up some german band or something and it's like wow i've never heard them and it reminds you of might remind you of something else you like from then you know so it's just never ending really yeah
0: so what are the kind of what are the artists you're listening to right now are there any kind of newer artists or is it just the older stuff
1: um, what have i been listening to just trying to think um yeah i've been listening to a lot of Probably since uh Andy Fletcher died, really. Yeah, yeah. because um, that was they were such a big part of my growing up. I'm just trying to think well, I'm trying to look what else I listened to. Um I went to see Gay Bikers the other night because I always just love them. Right. I played a one off gig in London, so that was good. <laughs> I mean, listen to them. That's cool. Uh there's a band called what are they called? The Vice Rags are really good. They're from New Jersey. That's quite new. That's like a couple of years old. Mm. Quite garagey kind of, but nice plot songs as well um i like the new soft sell as well that's great oh yeah um listen to that a lot it's great when bands like that just come out with something new loads of devo i've been listening to recently um nice again you know going back to the 70s like the sweet and all that t-rex yeah
0: classic and yeah. um i suppose uh, a word as well to um Laurie black uh, who was obviously open for Adam and on this tour. I mean, um, mm. I thought she was brilliant. I don't know how one person stands in front of rooms that big and still is able to command the stage, but then having a look at her background as well, she's in cabaret, so she's used to talking to a room full of people who may or may not be fully into it and kind of getting them on side, which I think she totally did on uh, on Sunday night.
1: Yeah, well that's it. I mean but it's one thing being experienced on that and being able to do it, but to actually do it properly, yeah, and uh hold people's attention and she does that, you know, it's a special kind of talent, definitely. Yeah. Um
0: who and, picked her hmm. for the um for the support slot anyway?
1: That was actually through through me, actually. Yeah. I I recommended her. So um yeah. So and it's working out well. People seem to really like her. Uh we got a few more with her coming up, so that'll be fun.
0: Yeah, I thought she was I've never seen uh, anything quite like what she was doing actually on in, in Mm. a room that big anyway, you know, uh, on, on, a Mm. tour like that. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's good to get these slightly more, I don't know what you call it. It's, it's not the kind of act that you would imagine opening for Adamant, I guess.
1: Right. Right.
0: I, 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 I guess, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's not the same kind of thing, but I thought she complimented it really well. I thought she was brilliant. And uh, so, where did you where did you first find out about her?
1: That was actually through David from Rachel Stamp, He's a friend of hers, and um, so he I think he played on some of her stuff as well. And I went to see her with him playing guitar with her at, at the Black Heart. It was actually in Camden. Um, so yeah, I just thought it worked well, and um, I think you know. You say it's not what you'd expect, but I think that's the whole, the whole good thing about Adam and the whole experience is, you know, like to have someone doing their own thing. I think mm. fits him really well with his whole aesthetic, really. So yeah,
0: yeah, hundred percent. Like I say, it's not not a uh, not a criticism in the slightest. I think it's yeah. good. I think it's good to um get different types of music on the same bill. You know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. different
0: types of artists out there to possibly a group of people who aren't expecting it, you know. Yeah. So no,
1: I think that's good. And um she's like, you know, she always comes out and says hello to everyone and like uh mm. people have been reacting really well. So it's good. Yeah.
0: I like an artist who who uh goes down and stands by the merch store. I think that's always a great a great sign of someone who's doing it for the right reasons
1: absolutely yeah yeah gotta be done
0: um yeah no exactly and especially when you're you know if you've got that opportunity to be playing in front of crowds as big as adam pulls in as well mm. um, why not why not make the most of it
1: that's it yeah
2: absolutely yeah
0: so I've, I've kept you long enough. Uh, you're a busy man. <laughs> and I really appreciate the time you've given me uh, this morning. But what's, uh, what's next for you now after the Antics Tour? Obviously, you were talking about Rachel Stamp possibly organising a, a tour of the UK. You know, what, what else is going on in the near future?
2: Uh,
1: well, this year I've got a few Scant regard gigs. I'm playing, um, I'm playing Aces and Eights on the 8th of October. So that's the first one I've got. Then I'm doing this thing, actually a cabaret thing myself. I play this place called the Rock and Roll Cabaret, uh, which is in Soho, Berwick Street, um, the Blue Post. And that's on the Sunday after that, which is the... Oh, God, I've got this in front of me. Um, 16th of October. Uh, then I've got my Banshee made me do it playing The Grace, which is the, where the garage is. It's like the smaller room of the garage. On the 29th of October... And then, like I said, I've got the Sputnik gig in December, another solo gig right before Christmas. So, but hopefully uh, I'll be booking loads more stuff as well, you know, and I'm also going to be doing a bit of DJing as well. So um, I'll be posting about that soon because I haven't done that for a while. But yeah.
0: And is there a singular place? What's the website that people can find out where you're playing and in which bands you're playing?
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, Uh, Well, see, Instagram really is probably the best place, but, you know, scantregard.com. That's got all my information about my solo stuff, yeah.
0: Cool. Okay. Well, again, Will, thank you so much for coming on today. And uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for your time and uh, good luck for all those gigs for the rest of the year.
1: Oh, thanks a lot, Tom. Yeah, it's cool. (laughs) Cheers for having me.
0: go what a life wills lived right so many bands and so many names dropped what a lovely bloke i mean i feel i was pushing through the chat a little bit fast but there was so much to get through and i didn't want to waste too much of his time perhaps i'll ask him on again in future to embellish on anything you guys feel like you'd want expanded upon just let me know as i said earlier you can find will crudson on twitter and facebook as will crudson on instagram as scant regard and on his website scantregard.com to keep up to date with who he's playing with and where from early October through to the end of 2022 and beyond. I really hope you enjoyed that chat and if there is anything you'd like me to ask on a future episode if he agrees to come back on the show, just let me know and I'll put it to him. If you go and follow him or any of his acts after hearing this, let him know you heard him here first and that's why you're following. As ever, Thank you for listening, and until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Band Biographies. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts. Please do reach out on Twitter at bandbiogs instagram at band biographies search on facebook for band biographies or by emailing band biographies at gmail.com see you next time
2: Uh, crackers, napkins, Clorox disinfecting bleach,
3: check. Now roses, uh, what if they wilt?
2: Attention shoppers, Clorox disinfecting bleach is a great way to keep flowers fresh for longer. It'll even work for that uh, ink stain on your shirt. Ah,
3: not again. Clean anything with the versatile Clorox disinfecting bleach. Discover more hacks at Clorox.com learn. Unlock big savings during the Menards bag sale. Add style and security with Schlag lock sets. Menards carries over 50 styles of interior and exterior lock sets. And with Schlag's wide selection of smart locks and keyless entry locks, there's no more hiding keys under the doormat or losing track of copies. Save big money on Schlag lock sets. Plus, save 15% when you fit it in the bag. Now through January 14th, available in-store only at Menards.
2: Save big money at Menards.